What is up, ladies and gentlemen? I'm back with another edition of the Macro Insights Podcast, where I have a very, very special guest, SB from the Woke Antidote. If you've been following me for some time, you know SB, and you know he always brings the heat and brings excellent, excellent insight. And a lot of the stuff that we talk about eh, kind of turns out to be true, not to pat themselves on the back, but hey. SB and I go into the death of growth companies. What the hell is going on there and how the hell did we get here? Then we go into some tech stuff, a little bit of the FTX, kind of where we're at and where he thinks we are going. But as always, ladies and gents, this is not financial advice and should never, ever, ever be taken as financial advice. So please, please, please do your own research, do your own due diligence, and just know that everything in this podcast is strictly for entertainment purposes only. Now let's get into the show. Whoosh. I am back with another edition of the Macro Insights Podcast, and I'd like to thank everybody streaming sats, and I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving holiday for all the American listeners out there. And I've got a very, very special guest Coming off this holiday break, I got SB from the Woke Antidote. And if you've heard on the spaces and, and other places, you know that uh, he's got a great mind when it comes to all this macro stuff. So I, I brought him on to kind of come and make sense of what's all going on. So SB, welcome to the show. And uh, yeah, welcome back, man. How was your Thanksgiving? You know what? What is going on, man? Great to be back. Love the times I've been on. Love the time you were on our show. And yeah, Thanksgiving was great. Always good to see the fam always good to have some excellent food and then hey as thanksgiving turns uh immediately it's christmas season so i'll be putting my instant christmas album on already played a few songs already and that'll be that for the month of december yeah there we go the instant christmas album that's awesome i mean i feel like Mar mariah carey makes like her entire net worth um from like as soon as the clock strikes uh november 1st on uh, you know, for that, all I want is Christmas is you, all that streaming play. She must make a shit ton of money just these last two months of the year. She has to, but yeah, for any listeners out there, if you are not familiar with the Instant Christmas album, that's a must. After the show ends, get to it ASAP because that just has some absolute Christmas bangers. Bangers for days. There we go. Didn't You didn't think you were going to get bangers for days when you came on listening to the Macro Insights pod, but you get a little bit of everything. But, uh, you know, let's get down to brass tacks. So we got a crazy kind of macro environment on going on right now. So I'm going to leave it the floor open to you. Is there anything that's kind of like, you know, striking your, uh, you know, catching your eye these days that you're that it's pretty alarming? I mean, obviously, there's a there's a lot of different numbers that are coming out. We got inflate or uh, inflation still, you know, in the sevens according to that uh, CPI print. We got uh, unemployment rising. We've, we're seeing a lot of these growth companies kind of uh, take a turn for the worse. So uh, I'll leave it open for you uh, if you've got anything initially that you want to kind of get into. Go for it. Yeah. So I I was intrigued. We were talking briefly before the show, and I was intrigued by the point of the growth companies because. You know, I look at these charts as, as you do as, and as your audience does, and you see crazy stuff like Carvana, you know, goes from 300 to $7. They might be bankrupt soon. Um, Upstart, I think that was the famous one. The guy goes on CNBC, doesn't even know what they do. 
um, you know, companies even like a Coinbase goes from 350 or 400 to 50 bucks. Netflix, 700 to 200 at the worst. So there's all of, the, and that was supposed to be an established company. So there's all these crazy growth moves. And I kind of wanted to give my theory on why I think it was sort of a perfect cocktail for what happened to growth companies to get us to those heights and then to the lows. Um, because I, I think what, what we need to observe right now is, at least for the moment, we've left the ZERP. We've left zero interest rate policy. We've left QE, quantitative easing. We might get back to it, but for the, for the current environment, that's just a massive step-up change from where we were at from the t- 2010 through 2020, when interest rates were kept uh, pretty much at zero. I think in late 2018, we attempted to raise a little bit, and then we, we brought it right back down. So these companies that were created in the 2010s, they were being judged on what does that business look, look like 10, 15 years from now? And if I can see what a potential cash flow might be, maybe the total addressable market analysis, I don't have to discount that that much because the interest rates are so low. So simplistically, you know, if, if in 2017 or 2018, Netflix is burning $3 billion of cash, well, if that's enabling them to get massive scale and they can get $20 billion of free cash flow in 2030, that's almost as valuable to me as $20 billion of free cash flow today because interest rates are zero. So what happened is you had all of these companies responding to the market, to be fair to the companies, chasing these crazy growth metrics. So earnings didn't matter. It was all about how fast can you grow revenue? How fast can you grow subscribers? How fast are you growing into your total addressable market? So we had that environment going on. Pandemic hits. Then these businesses that relied on these growth metrics, their growth metrics got supercharged during the pandemic because we were all at home and we were online. And then we went, we put interest rates back to zero. And the expectation was we were going to be at zero for years. I mean, if you go back to the Fed quotes from the mid 2020, they were they were talking about not raising rates for a long time. So you had those two changes as well. So that's when you had these sky high valuations because we looked at these companies and take take Carvana, for example. They were burning, I, I think, over you know multiple billions of dollars a year. But what, but the market was assessing if Carvana can truly become this global scaled player, they're going to make they they have the potential to make so much money in the long run that we're that we're going to bid them up. They're the ultimate like longer duration asset. We're going to bid them up like crazy. And so then in twenty late twenty one and twenty twenty two when they started raising rates, you know first of all a seventy five basis point rate is insane. That's that usually does not happen. So the fact that we're getting them back to back to back, um, that's just a totally different environment that no one's really seen. So these companies now, they're, they're higher rates. You have to discount their future earnings by 4% or 5% a year and not the zero that was ZERP. Um, the pandemic came and went, and now the benefit they got from everyone being online is now a decelerant. And then third, you have the economy slowing. So you, you put that, that cocktail together. And then you can kind of see, all right, that's what happened where, you know, I don't think it it should have happened. I don't think the market should be changing this much. Um, You know, if we'll talk about Sailor and MicroStrategy, I think one of the great points Sailor has made recently is you have $400 trillion of assets that were 
using a risk-free rate that just recently changed 300 basis points in six months, that's going to be a shock to the system. And, you know, we already saw the, the shock in terms of the, um, the you know, some, some pensions in the UK and whatnot, and we'll probably see more. But I just think I, I wanted to touch on that of how this actually happened, because I think it's totally fair to look back and say, like even Netflix, an established company, why did their stock go from 700 to 200 when, yeah, they, they missed their subscribers by a little bit, but it wasn't that crazy? Well, what happened was in 2019, Netflix and, and the Carvanas of the world, they responded to, oh, the equity market's giving us credit for you know investing like crazy and burning all this cash. So all these companies did that. And what you do when you, you respond to the market is, yes, you ultimately want a higher stock price, but if the, if the stock market's favoring your metrics and your growth metrics and they're giving you a high valuation, that allows you to do other things too. So for example, Carvana, um, they, they issued bonds at less than 5% interest rates. And where are those bonds trading now at in 30 cents, 40 cents in the dollar? But part of the reason they were able to do that is because the bond market looked at Carvana having this massive market cap and said, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm protected. The market values this company at 100, 200 billion, whatever it was. They raised a billion or two billion of bonds. Easy. That, that's fine for me. I'm going to be paid off. And then it turns out it was so volatile, it doesn't. So I guess I'll, I'll, I'll end it there by saying that that volatility is crazy, but we have seen that, I think, in the equity market before. The big thing that I hear today is that for people that have been in this business for decades, they're saying the treasury market volatility is the worst they've ever seen. And so that obviously Im impacts you know, all different asset classes. But just kind of going back to the sailor point, why is this risk-free rate changing so much? Like, did, did the world change that much where it should be that different? And, and I would say no. And then it would go back to, and you talk about this a lot on the show, you know, maybe there's an alternative to people at the Federal Reserve controlling interest rates like this. And maybe there's something else that we can do um, besides kind of using human human error for this. But yeah, I just I figured I'd start there because you you uh, you, you piqued my interest in in all, why all these growth companies are, are seeing just horrible performances lately in the stock market. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to some of our older conversations, too, I've, I've listened back to a little bit, too, and I think like we've kind of talked about this before before like i guess the the volatility and the massive crashes to a lot of these stock prices just talking about the crazy evaluations of a lot of these companies you know their their pe ratios didn't even matter you know number or stocks always go up kind of environment in covid and you know all that liquidity and and everything like that just so much uh, access to capital just allowed these stocks to soar and just keep kind of continuing up and now, like, you know, I, I kind of agree with you. I think it's almost overcorrected in a sense where it's come crashing down. And, you know, that that's kind of where we're at. But um, I'm interested kind of to, to where you see, I guess, the valuations to go going from here. Do you think, you know, kind of the, the value investing principles are going to kind of come back to some of these? And uh, yeah, what do you uh, and then? Yeah, then I want to get into, I guess, more of the job market and some of these growth companies, because I think that has also been you know, a big issue where we've seen these tech companies, people jump from job to job getting, you know, 15% raises just to move like a lateral move. Uh, if they go from one tech company to the next. Um, so yeah, I'll, uh, I'll leave it there. Uh, do you think, you know, all, one, the valuations are going to kind of get 
I guess, more in kind of the value sense. And uh, two, what do you think of the overall job market in a lot of these growth and like tech companies where you've seen, you know, people just getting paid a lot more uh, than, you know, actual work than that they're doing? Yeah. So first I would say I don't really blame these companies. Um, Yeah, there's some strategic errors here and there, but for the most part, the companies were simply responding to what the market demanded. And even I'll I'll leave aside growth companies for a second and look at media companies beyond Netflix, Paramount, uh, Disney, uh, even Comcast with Peacock. Peacock, they're they're spending $2.5 billion on or they're losing $2.5 billion in 2022. All of these quote unquote legacy media companies, they responded to in 2019, the market valuing Netflix like, like they did. A lot of companies have done that. And the, the access to capital is such a huge benefit to these companies because ultimately at the end of the day, you want to make sure that you have access to capital at all times. So I think if the, if there's one thing I can disagree with some of these companies on it's not it's being too short term focused on what the um, the market wants and then also not raising equity at the top. Um, so you you know if if you're some of these companies, I mean Carvana, there's there's rumors that or not room I guess rumors, but people are looking at their financial statements and saying they might go bankrupt soon. Why didn't you raise you know a decent amount of cash at the top uh, using equity issuance? They could have done that. So. That's what I would start with, which is, you know, maybe that's the one thing I disagree with with a lot of these companies. But what I think is happening now is it's it's up to the investor to decide, is the cash burn actually investments or just an unprofitable business? Because I think if you if you zoom back a couple years, the cash burn was rewarded. And there's a famous quote from Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, where he says, um, higher cash burn is an indicator of enormous success which is just unbelievable that that was said, but that was viewed positively at the time. And the reason for it was because the, you know, he was viewing it and the investors were viewing it in that if you burn more today, you're going to have more scale and more pricing power tomorrow. So in this, in the QE era, the ZERP era of the 2010s, it was almost as if like the more cash burn you could get away with, the more the market was valuing your, your company and it almost didn't really even matter um, what was going to happen in five or ten years. It was just what was what was happening today. Well, I think now you're going to see companies. Let me interject with you right here because I have a question to see if we if it even because you said you know it's from the 2010 to the 2020 kind of era, and I'm I I kind of think it might be even earlier than that. I think you know a lot of companies saw the the model that Amazon had which essentially is, you know, the cash burn and, and then, you know, obviously uh, expand the business later and then figure out how to make money later. And that's kind of how they, they went through it. And uh, yeah, the easy access to capital and all that obviously helped Amazon uh, kind of grow, but obviously, you know, not every company is Amazon. So I feel like every CEO and founder kind of had that in their little back pocket to kind of pull. And do you, do you think that that was maybe, uh, you know, a reason as well? I, I think that's totally part of it because the <clears throat> the classic, if you're a growth investor, when someone says, "Hey, you're, you're burning all this cash and you have all this scale, but you know what? How are you actually going to make money?" Then they go, "Oh, like we'll find an AWS." And the problem with that finding an Amazon Web Services is that's an incredible business. At least it is right now. So it's 
you know, anyone can burn the cash like Amazon did, but is are you able to find an AWS? That's pretty rare. So, you know, so go so yeah, so going back to what I what I was saying, which fits in exactly with what you're saying, investors now have to assess, oh, can a company find an AWS with all they're doing? Now, they're not gonna find exactly that, but you know, for example, if you're looking at a DoorDash, okay, so DoorDash ultimately the the margins on food delivery probably won't be that high, right? So, you know, then there's the question of, okay, can they do advertising? Um, and if so, can they make money on that? Amazon makes a lot of money on advertising for buying their products. Can DoorDash do dark stores where essentially they have so much information on the demand um, of what consumers want, they can get into selling the actual products and having the actual stores rather than outsourcing that and using, you know, a CVS, for example, for a convenience. So that's kind of one area. I think another stock I would think about is Spotify, where Spotify, they've had, I mean, so much scale for years now. And they've, they've gone into the podcast business. And when they did these deals with Joe Rogan and Bill Simmons and all these uh, big popular names, their stock ripped. I mean, I think the, the Joe Rogan deal, the stock was up 10% that day. Well, they're actually not even making money and they're 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 increasingly losing money on the podcasting business and their existing music business is not making much money. So if you talk to Spotify bulls, what they might say is, hey, Spotify has this incredible scale. They're bound to find something. So, yes, that can be a bull case, but you need to ha have a pretty good idea of what they might be able to find or have some some various theories there. When you talk to a company or when you talk to bulls of a company and they don't and they just say, oh, they're going to find something, that's when it might be off because ultimately, you know, you don't have to you don't have to sit here in 2022 and say Spotify is going to have X amount of profits in, you know, live events or ticketing by 2027. But you at least want to see a little bit of progress. So I think that's kind of where where I would be looking is, is there maybe it's low, maybe it's small. Is there some progress in terms of getting to more profitable growth. And, you know, I, I would use Meta as an example. I know you've talked about that on the show a lot. Um, I think there's, they have this very small segment of monetizing WhatsApp, I believe. I don't know exactly what it is, but like that segment grew 70% um, revenue or something. So like, that's the kind of thing I would be thinking about is, okay, if you're very familiar with the core business and what it does, what are the offshoots? Are they giving you data enough to assess it? And then, you know, combine that with your qualitative understanding of the market. Okay, yeah, I, I can get I can be comfortable with a little bit of a lower valuation on these companies now that uh, the market's taken them down. And I'm interested in, you know, growth segment A, B and C. And I think that they, they've each got a pretty high shot of working out. So that's kind of where I would be looking at it, <clears throat> as opposed to I, I, I really don't think I really don't think a lot of that analysis was being done in the in the 2010s simply because it didn't really need to be done. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, like like you said, it, it wasn't needed to be done. But, you know, I think we're at, we're at the point now, too, where now this is a lot of pressure on the founders or, you know, the leadership of the companies. Right. Because, you know, you need a Jeff Bezos to find an AWS. You need somebody else like, all right, you know, a Mark Zuckerberg to find a a metaverse or whatever, you know, obviously we, you and I have talked at lengths of our opinions and how we don't think that the metaverse is going to work or anything like that. But, you know, you have to see a founder kind of take these risks 
in order to, you know, see that exponential growth. So, you know, I, I kind of see a lot of these companies, you know, going to be swinging for the fences and we're, we might see some of the big boys kind of die. And, and we're seeing a lot of the, the layoffs kind of coming now soon, uh, as well. Um, and some of the, you know, obviously the, this dilapidated stock prices of a lot of these. So, you know, do, do you, what's your overall outlook? Do you think, you know, a lot of these companies are going to kind of do something like, like a metaverse or meta where they invest a shit ton of money into something that's, you know, maybe not going to work out like the metaverse, or do you think like, you know, the, the ones that make it are going to be the ones that kind of like hit these singles and, and doubles kind of thing. And like, you know, although their stock prices are, you know, down, they're not really taking these huge swings and potentially missing. Yeah, I think metaverse is that that's an isolated incident where you've got this guy who has total control over the company, um, won't ever, you know, get, give it up. Um, the ability for him to be burning that much money on a project with incredibly uncertain future cash flows, that's just rare. Um, and I think even like going back to the AWS example, Amazon was doing that internally first and then brought it to the rest of the market. So at least there was a product fit because they themselves knew they needed it. With this, there there is no guarantee of a product market fit. And one of my thoughts is I look at a company like Apple and they're always doing stuff behind the scenes and then they bring a product out. You know, it, it can work. It might not work. But with the brand that Apple has – I wouldn't be surprised if, if you have more of a AR, um, augmented reality, being the first iteration of people really having alternative reality. So you have maybe glasses to start, and then, then you can get into you know aggressive VR in the 2030-plus time frame. I think Facebook trying to go immediately for this virtual reality world where you work all day and you come home and strap on a helmet, basically, and go into this world. I just don't think people are, are ready for that or interested in that right now. I'm not saying they won't be in the future, but maybe there is an in-between step, which is, oh, you put on these you know, glasses like Google Glasses um, tried a while ago, and then, boom, you then see uh, you know, interesting information about the, the world around you. Or you know, I'm, I'm someone who thinks that holograms might be of interest. Um, especially if the wireless and, and broadband technology gets better and people can create uh, apps for that. So that's one thing I'm thinking of. But in terms of a of broader discussion, you know, I, I look at what what Metaverse has has written and talked about in their last earnings call. They are highly focused on, you know, aggressively ramping the reality labs on uh, employment. But with that said, they're keeping employment the same or slightly less through the end of 2023 as compared to now. And that's a major change from what they've done in previous years where they've jacked the employment up um, by a ton. And I think this is going to be a theme that you're going to see where, you know, we, we, we said that you didn't have to do much work in the 2010s for some of these growth companies. Well, a lot of these growth companies and the Googles and, and uh, Facebooks of the world, I'll throw Amazon in there too, um, they didn't have to do much work managing their employment. Um, because things were going great. People didn't really care about margins as long as the revenue was growing. But Facebook's letter, Google's letter, they talked about this too. These guys are pulling back and hiring. And uh, you know, I, I think we've all seen these TikTok videos of a uh, day in the life of a of, of, of 25-year-old product manager at Google 
or Facebook, and, and it's a complete joke. I mean, this is just. I mean, we talked about this on our show, and TB, my my co-host of the the Will Ganado, you know, he mentioned he sees this all the time in the tech world where people are doing very little work all day. So there's a ton of fat to cut. Not every company has to be Elon and Twitter where he's cutting 75% of the staff. But let, let's be real here. If, tw- if Elon is able to cut 75% of the staff and Twitter works as well, if not better, and imagine he starts doing new products and developing that, then I, I truly think you're going to have a wave of activist investors. We've already seen this with Google, but you're going to have investors write letters and pressure the boards of these major tech companies and say – they, they're going to use Twitter as an example, and they're going to say Twitter just fired 75% of their employees, and they're better than they're working now. There's no way that you can't cut off 10, 15, 20, even 50% of your employees at some of these big tech companies and not be as well, if not better off. So you're going to see that. The companies are doing some of it now, but could it get worse and a lot worse? I think absolutely it could. Yeah, and I and I'm looking for that as well. You know, I think it, it's not only it's you know, uh, it's it's also part of you know Jerome Powell's mission, I guess, so to speak, and and what he was saying in in, in all of his uh, you know latest latest Fed meetings where he's talked about that. You know, I I think I, if the quote maybe I don't have it exactly, but the quote was, uh, you know, if if unemployment increases, it's not necessarily looked at as a as a success. Man, I'm tripping up right now. But uh, that that means they're raising the interest rates would be doing the job. So I think, you know, we're kind of seeing two things here. We're seeing, you know, obviously the the Fed raising interest rates at a pace that's never really been seen before. And then two growth companies kind of, you know, feeling the pain of that and feeling it a little bit more, uh, maybe like, you know, a little bit exponentially compared to, you know, maybe some of these other companies who we're a little bit, I guess, better managed, uh, had, didn't have as many people kind of running around making these TikToks, just, you know, running to coffee shop to coffee shop, working like, you know, two, three hours a day and calling it an eight hour workday. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that's going to kind of continue. And, you know, I, I wonder like, what's the, what's the solution here and where are all these people going to go? Because I think like a lot of these jobs, man, like, you know, if you're, uh, you know, I guess high up in in some kind of marketing in or something along those lines. Maybe that's a transitional skill. But some of these tech jobs, you know, if you can't jump to another tech company and there's, you know, your I don't know a coder or something like that, and there's a hiring freeze and probably majority of these tech and growth companies, you know, where are you going to go? I that that's where I think is like a lot of these high end. Um, you know, earners are going to be losing their jobs. And then, then where does that leave areas like, you know, that, that people have kind of moved and uh, bought really nice houses and, and other things like that too. So I, I definitely see it all kind of, kind of crumbling in it. And it's maybe because of the big overvaluation of a lot of these tech and growth companies. And obviously, like, like you said, it's not really their fault or the company's like leadership's fault because they were being rewarded for just, you know, hey, bring on a bunch of people and then we'll figure out what to do with them eventually. And then these people got comfortable and didn't really have to work because, you know, they, they brought in these people for, you know, future work. You got to train them for a couple months or a year. And then, you know, these people just kind of found out, hey, I, I'll work at this company for 
six to nine months to a year. And then I'll just bounce to another one. And I'll get a 15% raise. And they just kind of keep do doing that. And these tech companies kind of almost seems like they kind of killed each other from, uh, from the inside, at least from my perspective, by doing that and allowing a lot of these people to kind of come in and, and not really have to work super hard. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like this is a lot of doom and gloom on growth companies, but you know, I, I, do you kind of agree with what I'm saying here? And is there anything else that you, you're a little bit, I guess, more worried about as well? I do agree. And I would, I would throw in the stock-based compensation. That's getting a lot more attention now, both um, from the investors and presumably from the, the people that were getting a lot of stock because that was a huge way that companies were, were and continue today paying employees. Well, if, if you're spending a billion dollars in stock-based compensation and your market cap is $100 billion, you know, not, th not that bad. That's reasonable. Um, you're giving away 1% of the company a year, but you're attracting re really strong employees by giving them a lot of stock. Well, what happens to, to, you, to you if uh, your market cap is now $10 billion? Not Now you're giving away 10% of the company a year? No way. So they're going to keep dropping that stock-based compensation over time because there's no way they're going to give away much higher percentages of the company. But what that's going to do is they're going to have less employees and they're going to have less happy employees. And oh, by the way, those employees, they they thought the company was maybe at, at $100 billion. They thought it was going to be worth $300 billion in a couple of years. So they were more than happy to take a large percentage of their compensation in stock. And th this was public at Netflix where apparently a lot of the employees kept taking – they had the choice of, of like kind of what the majority of their compensation would be stock or cash. And they took stock. And frankly, it's hard to blame them. Not everyone's a financial analyst like like me and you looking at this stuff and saying, oh, they have a high PE ratio or, or enterprise value over EBITDA multiple. No, they're at the company. Everything's working. The market's rewarding them. They're thinking everything's great. And how can you blame someone for doing that? They want the most upside that they can. Everything that they're doing, all the data points are telling them things are working great. Why not double down and, and keep on, um, you know, do, you know, taking as much as you can in stock? So I think that's going to be a big issue as well. Where you know, and and you might go to new companies. Like if you're a tech worker, you might go to new companies now that have have had their stock prices decimated, and then try to get more stock at the low price as opposed to your current um, job. You might just be screwed. You might have gotten all the stock at ten times the. The, the current valuation. So I think that's one element. I totally agree with you on uh, the slowdown. And, you know, I'm sure you've seen this because I've seen this on FinTwit and, and whatnot, where you've got people that are saying, oh, these tech companies firing people and slowing hiring, that's an isolated incident. If you look at the general US economy, tech is, I don't know, 4% of total jobs. So it's only fan companies. It's only hot startups, firing people, this is not going to impact the broader job market. To that, I say, I don't think you're paying attention to anything else because it's not just it's not just tech companies, it's everybody. I mean, and I think we've seen that with Amazon now because, yeah, you could call Amazon a tech company, but you could also call them just kind of a general barometer of the economy. Um, you could do the same thing for the FedEx story. That was incredible where FedEx is laying people off right into – the holiday shopping season. So 
you've got all these consumer focused companies too that they had such high inflation um they raised their prices considerably uh, over several times but then they also went like all right if we can't if we can't do one more price hike then the next thing we got to do is address margins and then we're we're firing 10 15 20% of people to do that so yeah i don't i don't think it is a tech uh only situation i think it m- might be more aggressive there but the unemployment picture i don't think is that great um although having said that you know admittedly <clears throat> i'm not i'm not a uh, a macro analyst focusing on unemployment um, very specifically. So, you know, is there going to be a, an impact from this? Yes. What's the severity of it? Is the severity going to be high enough for the Fed to change course? I think that's kind of where um, everyone's kind of waiting on because, you know, as, as we saw when the other day when, um, you know, there was one data point, I think, it, what, what was it? It was inflation was like 7.7% instead of 7.9% and the markets, the NASDAQ's up like 7%, the, the shit goes, the growth companies are up 20%, 30%. So I mean, the, the market is ready to rally. I think when we, we know that the fed is going to pause or considerably slow down rates, it's ready to start ripping. Um, it's just a question of when they're going to do that. And everybody, you know, you don't want to get, you don't want to falsely get caught, um, but then you also don't want to miss it. And so I think that's why you have this insane volatility where, yeah, inflation's different by a little bit. And then, boom, let's let's buy into stocks, because if we have a few inflation prints that are better than expected, we're going to keep on rising. Yeah. And I, and I think you get you kind of hit on something that I want to dive a little bit more into about, you know, the stock based compensation, um, because I think, you know, like you said, why would you blame anybody for taking some payment in stock? Because it seemed like at that point, stocks, you know, like like you said, only only went up, right? That's the uh, the Dave Portnoy, the El Prez uh, kind of Davy Day trader, you know, famous quote. But you know, I think it was people were just more willing to kind of take some of these risks on not only just stocks and their compensation, but you know, we also see like a lot of these things with with offering yield and and the crypto stuff. And uh, that's where I want to kind of bring up like FTX, right? We we've obviously seen this huge FTX crash. It's been all over FinTwit and, and everything like that. You got a company that I think lost $18 billion uh, or so in like 72 hours. So, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of these big companies. I don't even know if I consider FTX like a, I guess what, uh, they're technically a tech company. Um, but, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot more of this, uh, these companies kind of blow up and, and uh, you know, it, it was, it wasn't only just like kind of retail investors that were willing to take this risk. Right. It, I think, you know, too, like a lot of venture capital firms and other places like that were seemingly willing to take a risk on this guy, Sam Bankman fried. And uh, with uh, you know, I guess a slight history of making some money by figuring out one spread or something like that um, between Bitcoin in China and Bitcoin in the U S and just kind of capitalizing on that. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think, <clears throat> not it's not only just like you said these fang companies we're seeing like a lot of these other companies rise up and get multi-billion dollar valuations in a short period of time and then come crashing down so i, I mean i i know this this isn't necessarily like a crypto slash bitcoin related show but a lot of these companies that that kind of jumped into this field benefited to the low interest rate environment and you know the easy access to capital that a lot of these growth companies 
benefited from as well. Um, and, you know, we're kind of seeing that all crumble. And it's not just, you know, like US-based companies. It seems like they're, they're more global brands too. And, you know, they were slapping marketing all over the place and, and kind of stuff like that. So, I mean, obviously, if you if you take a dive into the story, Sam Bankman-Fried was a, is a fraudster and that there's really no other way to kind of word that uh, and the way he kind of di did everything. But I, I also think like the banks have to be somewhat to blame here because they allowed him to borrow a bunch of money on this, you know, shitcoin crypto kind of thing. And I think that, you know, maybe we, we might see some people um, that got stock based compensation. Maybe they, you know, got a mortgage on some of their stock evaluation prices that were highly elevated. And now they're, they might have to default on that mortgage or, or other things like that too. So, you know, I, I think it's not just, um, you know, it's, uh, it's not just uh, retail and, and people that were kind of working for some of these tech companies. I think just overall, the risk that people were taking in these 10, this decade of, you know, just massive growth in the stock market, is just, you know, all kind of uh, coming to roost at this point and uh, people are going to start to feel the pain. So, um, you know, what, what are your, I guess, opinions on the, this whole FTX and I guess the, the crypto kind of debacle. I mean, obviously we have our opinions and we're, we're Bitcoin only guys. And, uh, but uh, yeah, I'll let you kind of get into the uh, fraudster of Sam Bankman fried yeah, I, I agree completely that FTX, regardless of whether this is a crypto-focused podcast or not, um, is extremely important to discuss when thinking about this growth tech bubble. Because you had FTX, I think that went from something like $1 billion valuation in 2019 to $32 billion by the end of 2021. And you had incredible investors. I mean... You know, it's easy to make fun of Tiger Global and SoftBank because both of those companies have done tons of VC deals. And a lot of those are, are now looking pretty bad, the ones that did over the last couple of years. Um, but both those companies have had successes other places too. But then you've got very high reputation investors like Sequoia, like Temasek, which is, I think it's Singapore's um, sovereign wealth fund. Um, you've got Dan Loeb, I believe, was in there. You had so many of these TradFi, traditional finance companies, participating in FTX too. And so you had those, you know, Temasek and Sequoia, they, they specifically both came out, they addressed how much money they had lost in it, and they had talked about the due diligence they did, which they, they were at least claiming um, was several months of due diligence. But I think ultimately what, what we have here is the, the incentives, you know, this is my take, but the incentives are always going to drive human behavior and by proxy, by extension of that, by the human behavior of someone running a fund that can invest billions of dollars a year. So what, what the Fed was incentivizing for all these years in the 2010s was low interest rates environments mean growth metrics uh, are going to be focused on by the equity market. And so if you're a VC investor, the way to win is to invest in companies that are going to keep on growing and then you can have much higher valuations later. So when the Fed goes from ZERP to 5% interest rate trajectory on the risk-free rate, yeah, that's a massive change in your business model. All of a sudden, everything that you thought you knew about how these companies are going to perform for a decade changed. So it's easy to hate on the VCs, and I don't like a lot of the VCs either. I think somebody like A16Z 
this has been getting a lot of uh, a lot of heat now on Bitcoin Twitter. They they just seem to be investing in these crypto web three projects with very little to no utility, and they're selling the tokens and they're making money that way. So I'm not saying I'm not hating on A16Z, for example, but what I am what I am not happy with, and it's not only VCs, it's the public markets too. You know, your your average retail investor, why wouldn't they buy the Nasdaq at fifteen thousand? Because they want to buy the, the fastest growing companies and interest rates were going to be zero for several years, mid-2020. It's the same thing with VCs. Why wouldn't they invest in the fastest growing companies? Yeah, it might be high valuation, but it's going to be much higher going forward. So the Fed just completely switching it up, I mean, that's affecting everybody. And, you know, like, for example, let's transition here from the VC market to the bond market, um, because that's that's one where, you know, that would be seen as sleepier, right? It's part of that 60-40 portfolio, 40% bonds in an investor's retirement portfolio. Uh, bonds are, are done by you know pensions, by insurance companies, by asset managers that are focused on low risk. Um, bonds are seen as kind of this lower risk uh, offset to stocks in a lot of organizations' portfolios. Well, bonds, if you had long duration bonds, if you bought a, a Google bond, at 1.7% coupon rate in mid mid 2021 that bond's trading for 55 cents in the dollar now um if you were a company that was investing in junk bonds high yield bonds you were buying bonds at 3% in summer 2021 those bonds are at 70 cents in the dollar now because they have to be 8% yields so it wasn't just vcs that were impacted they they were impacted the most because they're the highest risk segment of the investing class, but it was also bonds. It was also clearly public equities. It was also real estate. And so it was just that this, the, the volatility itself is hurting everybody because you're, you're making decisions on investments. You're making decisions on your personal expenditures going forward. Like you talked about maybe people buying real estate, you're making these decisions under the assumption that the current economic paradigm is going to continue. And then when it's changed so rapidly, it's hard to react to that. And I mean, frankly, you could even think about if you're an investor in, if you're an investor in the space of any space, any asset class, 20, you had, you had a decade, you had 2010 to mid 2022, let's call it of a certain paradigm. And now that paradigm has shifted. You have to decide now, do I think the paradigms fully shifted and then do I need to change everything I knew about making money and being successful for the past 12 years? Or do I think this is a short-term thing? The Fed's going to cut interest rates again, and this is a great time to buy because asset value, asset prices are so much lower than they were for the past few years. So that's a really hard decision. And, and I would argue, and I think you would too, as Bitcoin people, that shouldn't that shouldn't even be a choice. The, the, this severity of this change should not be allowed to happen. Uh, the economy should be natural. The interest rate should be naturally chosen on an open and free market. And we really can't have people in such power controlling the bond market, the equity market, the currency market, the real estate market. That's just not healthy for a society. So yeah, like not not to get too uh, kind of macro and. And focused here, but it's just really unfortunate. And I think, like you know, going back to FTX to make my, my final point here, 
you know, you have, yeah, VC is like the, the most, the most intense asset class. And then crypto VC is the most intense, uh, asset of the VC asset class. So FTX is like the tippity top, but you know, what happened if you invested in FTX at a $1 billion valuation in 2019, you, you made out like a bandit. If you sold some of your shares in the 2021 funding rounds, right? You were doing amazing. So, you know, it, it, it's a very big fall, but it was also an incredible rise. And it's really hard to call when that rise is about to decline. So, you know, again, like I'm not, I'm not trying to apologize. Uh, I'm not trying to say for all these people making these investments on crazy valuations that, you know, they were actually smart and they, you know, they lost 70% just out of luck. I'm just saying human psychology dictates that it's a very hard to call a change in the dynamic of the human behavior when we have something like this. So, you know, I hope that kind of makes some sense, but it's just, it's just tough. And I, and I think it's not only the VCs that are having trouble with it. It's long tenured bond traders who've been trading treasuries for three decades since the eighties, they're having trouble with the two. So this is, this is not a problem in a specific asset class. This is a problem that's happening across the entire investment world right now. Yeah, which is absolutely crazy, right? Because we, we saw houses, like you said, real estate, housing, everything shooting up drastically, you know, rent shooting up drastically and, and everything like that. And, you know, I think just overall kind of uh, to, to tie it back to, you know, the unemployment is that we're seeing obviously inflation just rise drastically and expenses rise and, you know, when it comes to certain expenses, you know, obviously we've seen the student loan forgiveness kind of be kicked kick, kick down the road and other things, too, that, you know, a lot of these policies are, I guess, sort of helping the inflation in the short term. But I, I don't know. In my opinion, I think that everybody's expenses is just going to kind of continue to go up, obviously, when you have to start making some of those student loan payments. You know, anecdotally, I have some friends that are just waiting for that uh that 10 grand that but that biden promised to uh you know magically make that uh student loan disappear and instead of making the payments when it's a zero interest rate environment and so you know i i think that companies are not really in a, in a great uh, great place and you know overall just you know the, the entire macro environment we're, we're just seeing inflation just kind of cripple the economy so at this point like you know what what is the what is the fed to do like what is your outlook on things do you still think that there's like you know obviously there's there's value in every every market at some point you're going to find some company that that kind of thrives in this environment but you know what what do you see i guess this is kind of obviously it's a pretty tough question but you know how do you see us getting out of this and uh, do you see it as kind of a you know i guess a slower sideways drastic bloody recession depression or um, you know, maybe us getting out of it here in the near future. Yeah, I, I think I, I do see, like we talked about Google and Facebook before, um, companies are going to cut the fat. So you're going to have margin improvements that way, I think, for a lot of these companies. The problem is obviously that the revenue is not going to be growing as much. So in those companies, for example, you're going to have advertising declines going to be hurting them. But I do think there, there was excess in the 2010s, as we talked about. So there is some fat to cut. So I think there are going to be companies that can benefit there. I also, I think there's another uh, version of the valuation declines that, you know, me, me and you talked about it much earlier, where 
some companies that have great businesses that might be negatively impacted over the past couple of years for various reasons, they're, they're being left for dead. So what you're going to have is companies that can actually come out of the pandemic-induced declines um, at a nice rate of growth. Um, I think they're going to be fine too. So there's, there's companies out there that the valuations have hurt. And those might not be growth companies. Those might just be you know, a, a small cap company that, oh, wow, maybe this company, people thought they have too much debt. They're not going to be able to refinance it. And we're going to tra- it's going to trade like it might go bankrupt soon. And actually, oh, wait, no, they can sell some assets. They can um, cut a lot of costs and get out of it. So I think you know, that could be somewhere to look as well. Um, and then I think, you know, again, it's like you got to find the companies that you you believe have great business plans that can work in the future. And I would say, OK, so if you're a company that is out there, a business plan that could work is providing a better product at a similar to lower, lower cost. So I think we're seeing that, um, for example, I look at the the broadband market a lot and there's all these companies out there um, and I'll take T-Mobile, for example, they're offering uh, broadband over wireless for a lot less than your typical wired connection, whether it's from cable or fiber. Um, Verizon's doing this too. So if, if you're a company that you're potentially offering a better price than the incumbent provider of a service, then you can actually start growing. I'll use Oracle as an example here as well. Um, you know, they, they talked about how like Larry Ellison is, is the big guy at Oracle. He's saying that, you know, listen to us next call. We're going to have some surprises for you of customers we're winning from AWS, from Amazon Web Services. So that's pretty interesting. And if you look at Oracle, their cloud business, it's not in the top three, you know, with Microsoft, Amazon, and Google, but it's growing pretty fast. So, you know, that could be an interesting insight where maybe someone goes, hmm, I like, you know, for a variety of reasons, I like what Oracle is doing with their with their cloud. I think they can take share from the incumbents at a better price. I'm going to go ahead and do that. So, you know, I think it's going to be much harder. These are deep, deeper level of, an, of analysis, but I think that's an example of, you know, for whatever reason, if whether the organization set up better, whether you specifically have better technology, um, whether you have better assets, there's if there's ways to take share from incumbents. Um, at a better price, then you're going to be able to do all right. I think if I broaden it out to the macro perspective, yeah, I it's hard to make a prediction. I totally agree. It's hard because on one hand, you have so many of these companies announcing the job cuts. But on the other hand, it really, at least in terms of the publicly available data that they're giving us, it's not really showing up yet. And you know, on the flip side, maybe you do have more jobs and energy because there needs to be an offset. So, you know, I'm I'm not convinced that um, the data is going to come in that great going forward. I think the Fed will have to pause, and I think they're already taking us down from 75 to 50. So, I'm I'm much more on the side of the economy will slow pretty aggressively in the 2022 20 and late 22 early 23 time frame, and that we're probably going to have to at least initially pause more data comes in and then, yeah, you're going to eventually have to have a cutting cycle. You know, maybe it won't be back to ZERP, maybe not to zero, but you're going to have to have a cutting cycle that, you know, as soon as, soon as the first cut is being priced in, that's going to have the market rip. 
Um, and then ultimately that's going to be dependent on, you know, on one hand, the Fed's going to have your back again because I don't think we're going to be at 5% for a while, but then earnings are going to be down. So I think the the best case scenario is just finding the companies that can at least maintain um, consistent earnings. And then you're hoping that by late 23, you're going to get a tailwind from the Fed easing considerably. Um, so, you know, you, you go into those companies. But yeah, it, it's a hard time out there. I mean, I, you know, I'm in I'm in the investment community. I'm doing this every day. Um, I, I don't think that many people are, I, I wouldn't say having success because I'm sure if you're a short seller and whatnot, you're, you're doing all right. But I, I think this is a, this is a very volatile time. I, and I think a lot of people, if you think about, you know, whether, you know, if you think about 2008 or the, the 2000, I mean, those are the last two times when there is a, a big deep crisis, a lot of the investment professionals, they, they came after those. So they never experienced those. Yeah, you experienced 2020, but that was a very quick snapback. But people working today in pretty big positions, because think about it. If you if you started working in 2010, so that's 12 years of, of experience. So you've done, you know, people have done a lot. They've they've moved up in their careers. They're probably managing a lot of money. Um, you haven't seen a market like this. And now, now clearly no one's seen a market like this, but you haven't been through and had survived the 2000 and a 2008. So you're looking at the paradigm shifting. And for example, like on, on Fintuit, you see these, some of these accounts will tweet out the investment letters of, of hedge funds that started operating maybe like the mid 2010s. Fund was up 100% in 2020. It was up maybe 20% in 2021. It's down 60% in 2022. And, you know, you, you hate to see that. Um, and you wonder if that, if that company is going to immediately see a bunch of money withdrawn, but that's an extreme example of what I think a lot of companies are, are finding now in the investment community is that, oh, wait a second, what what I did for the last 10 years or the last five years of my career, it's just not going to work. I need to develop some other skills. And the the ironic part is that, you know, once once they've made the decision to, to look elsewhere, to have a different investment perspective and, and they learn that, that's probably the exact time they actually should be doubling and tripling down on what caught them um, their investment success in the first place. So it, it's a time of upheaval. Um, but, you know, for someone, I, I think if, if you're living through this, you know, whether you're a young investment professional or whether you're a Bitcoiner out there and maybe you bought a little bit of Bitcoin at 40, 50, 60 K and you're a little nervous now, you know, the, these are the times when get really familiar with the asset. So, you know, if you're a Bitcoiner, if you haven't read the Bitcoin standard yet, get on that ASAP. Um, get familiar with the asset. See see if you truly believe in it now that it's down 75%. And if you do, go hard because you have less risk investing in something when it's down 75% than when it was much higher. So, you know, get get the get the pencils out, do the hard work, read. And I think um, you know, yeah, the the market. The, yeah, look, the market when when a company is at a hundred hundred times, uh, you know, multiple, you're you're just going to be better in the long run when it's at a 10x multiple. So I think that's the silver lining here is you're going to be offered better deals on a lot of these investments. It's just you have to do the work now much more than you had to do in the past to actually make alpha and beat the market. So you know maybe we've had we've had a lot of doom and gloom in the pod. Shouldn't be all doom and gloom. There is some some positive light at the end of the tunnel, but yeah, I I do think it's it's more than reasonable that the economic situation 
isn't pretty for the next year. Um, but I think ultimately there, there, there will be that light at the end of uh, in the tunnel at some point. Yeah. And I agree with you. And I, and I do think that there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. At the end of the day, I do believe in, you know, the entrepreneurs of, of America and kind of what has built us up to where we're at as a, uh, you know, one of the world powers at this point, you know, whether uh, we're kind of declining or not, that's for a completely different pod, but uh, SB, you've been very generous with your time. So I, I appreciate you coming on. I always love having these conversations with you. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and what you got going on? Yeah, so definitely um, check us out on Twitter at the woke antidote. We didn't get into politics much today, but you know we've we've got a view on politics. We like talking about it. I mean, frankly, just from the from the name, you guys can imply what we're all about. But um, yeah, definitely follow us on Twitter. And then um, we do we we were doing a podcast once to twice a week. Um, we've had we've had some life changes, so it's been more sporadic recently. But we're we're definitely going to try to get uh, rolling again, and so yeah, just give us that follow button on Twitter, and you guys will be, um, you know, you'll you'll get the notifications for when we do have the pods, and, and certainly, you know, we got a good group of guys in in the um, in the spaces that we talk to, and so I think, um, you know, I w- we'll have plenty of good content coming from woke, whether it's whether it's at woke with you guys, whether it's on your pods with you guys. Um, you know, it's just there's a lot to talk about. It's not only the the economy. I mean, me and me. I mean, when you came on our podcast, we talked for almost two hours and maybe did a one segment on the economy. So there's so much to get into. So uh, yeah, definitely give us that follow. Um, hopefully, you enjoy the pod, and we'll we'll tweet out some greatest hits of what we've done in the past too. So you know, scope through the archives and see what you guys like. Yeah, for sure. I couldn't recommend their pod, uh, you know, more, to be honest. I mean, SB and TB, they both bring unique perspectives and it's, you know, all kind of related at the end of the day. You know, I know some people don't like to get into politics or whatnot, but as we've seen with, uh, you know, a lot of these decisions being made, it it definitely affects the overall economy. So it's something to, uh, you know, keep an eye on for sure. So SB, Thanks so much. Uh, why, why don't you uh, take the rest of this afternoon and jam out to a little of the NSYNC's Christmas album? And uh, oh, yes. yeah, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Well, and and to, to finalize, I just heard that uh, Trevor Simeon actually isn't starting potentially because he oh, got yeah. injured in the warm up. So the Bears might be down to their third string QB. So uh, yeah, we'll see if they could pull off the W or not. Nathan Peterman. I think last I saw too, the spread went from like bears, almost favorites or close to favorites to like six and a half point dogs. So uh, I'm going to have, I'm going to have myself an afternoon having to uh, sit through that. So yeah, um, best, best of luck with that one. Yeah. I appreciate it. Well, SB it's always a pleasure, my man. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Cheers. Thanks for having me on.